I can tell you as I'm walking up here, if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Haggai. It's in the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament, somewhere right in the middle of your Bible, if you don't know where that is. And we're going to be looking at a section of Scripture in there. January at Bayview is Stewardship Month. Every year we set aside a few Sundays and we talk about stewardship. And I led off a few Sundays ago with the first message, and I'm titling the sermons in our stewardship series this year, Treasure Hunters. And I said to everybody in here, we're all treasure hunters in some way. We're, We're acquiring, we're working, we're accumulating. There's things we like in life that we that we would like to have, that in a, in a small way, we're all orienting ourselves around this hunt, if you will. And we actually got, I took uh, Matthew 13, preached on that, and look what Jesus said here. He says in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And we talked about a couple Sundays ago, how he finds treasure, but he sold everything to acquire the land where the treasure was. He reoriented his entire life. And we looked at what would that be for you to sell everything you own, your, your house, your cars, your clothes, everything, the, the, the most massive garage sale, yard sale that you've ever seen, right? Where I'm liquidating everything. Why? Because there's this one thing. I'm, I got to raise capital to get this one very important thing. And Jesus said, for this man, it was the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's great for us to view it this way. You are acquiring things. You orient your life <clears throat> in your pursuit of things that aren't sinful, job, graduation, degrees, ranks, house, things for your family. But how much do we leverage of our life for the kingdom of heaven? Now, today I'm titling this message, The Forgetful Hunter. And I want to take you to a story in the Gospels about Christ who it says he came upon 10 lepers. And if you don't know what leprosy is, it's a disease on the skin that eats it away or it's rotting, your skin is rotting. Highly contagious in Christ's day. Hardly hear about it in the modern world, but the way they dealt with it in Christ's day was they said, you're going to go move outside the city. You can't mix in with the community. And they basically waited out their days living in a community where everybody had this disease and eventually people were dying. They're just dying around them in the community because they all had this disease. And Christ was known for, hey, there's this man, he can heal. And in the Gospels, it tells a story about 10 lepers who Christ came across and heals them. And in their excitement, first he says, you got to go get declared clean, which was, that was how they did it. Because You couldn't just say, hey, I'm healed of leprosy and just integrate in. You might spread it. You had to go. They had to look at you before be declared clean. You can go back in. And that's what they did. They they went to, 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 they were obedient. He, He took the leprosy away. And then they went, declared clean. But then what happens is only one of the ten comes back to say thank you to Christ. 
And it wasn't that the other nine were doing bad things. I mean, imagine if you had been sequestered away from your family for who knows, decades, and suddenly you're clean. I'm going to go see my wife. I'm going to go see my kids. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to go buy that meal that I could never get, whatever. They weren't doing bad things, but suddenly their life being opened up like that, so much more was in it, filling it, they forgot about Christ. And, and there's one that goes back and says, I'm a, before I do all those things, I'm going back to Christ first to say thank you because of what He had done. I was reading a writer once and he said, you know, in fact, I got a picture. It shows Christ. There's the ones. The other nine aren't doing bad things, but they're, the excitement there. But I read a writer once who said that this story actually could be a depiction of God's church and His people. The percentage, one in ten, remember. We get so carried away with a regular life, things that aren't bad per se, that we, ha- we certainly haven't oriented ourselves in such a way that God's first. We're pursuing so many things. And that forgetfulness is what I want to talk about today. And as a treasure hunter, as somebody who is, what are you orienting your life around? Have you factored in how you use what God has given you? Have you how much of your life do you leverage for God's work? So you could see the main verse I pulled out, the forgetful hunter, Haggai 1, my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Now, I want to give some context here before I get into the chapter of Haggai, and I got a picture to show you. This is, um, see the guy with his hand like this? This is Nehemiah, I think, in the picture, but there's a whole book in the Old Testament, Nehemiah, where it talks about how he was the leader in rebuilding the temple and the walls and the area. Now, this was a time when God's people They had been disobedient, and God allowed them to be conquered, and they were taken away as exiles in foreign countries. And then there was a time, largely through prayer and the seeking of some of God's people, when will we be allowed back? Is this our future? And of course, that's not their future. And God, through the work in His timing, there's a king who says, you can go back and the Bible records this, over, a little over 40,000 Israels went back, and there's a project, and they're rebuilding. The first thing they're going to rebuild is that temple. And as you go through the Old Testament, and you'll, you'll see the account, then they're going to rebuild the walls, and there's challenges. Like any building project, there's challenges, and it's a great story about how God rebuilt and reinstated eventually His people to come back, a nation where they had a temple, because the temple was sacred. It was the place where, where the nation met God. And there was a record where God came down into that, the most holiest rooms, the Holy of Holies. And the description in the Bible is that the Shekinah glory of God was coming out of that. And you could see His presence in there, physically see that God had come down to men. It was sacred. And yet it had been laid waste. It's in ruins. Their temple. 
the walls. What a great project. God sent them back to rebuild. And here's a, a picture of them. And here's a moment where God's going to send His prophet. And we're going to read and look at this in Haggai chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. Verse 1, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now I'm going to stop there. We're going to go through this verse by verse. And here's the first point that I'm going to give you, which is forgetting God's work. They were sent back to rebuild. And yet here you see in verse 2, God's man comes and you're seeing an excuse that's being given. Because here's what happened. I'll tell you what happened. They built the altar. I mean, that was the, the first, the centerpiece. The altar was where you, you, you made things right with God. And they built that. But then the project stopped. And so the picture is this. You just imagine kind of a field. It's not a fully developed temple. And there's the altar. And the people of God would come and gather. Remember, there's 40, over 40,000 people. That's a pretty big church service. And there's the altar. And they're doing their worship. And then it's over. And then they leave. And then, but it, it, does it go beyond that? Why, where's the rest of the project? And you see right here, God's man, his prophet Haggai comes and he says, there's an excuse that's being given. The timing is not right. The timing wasn't right. And I find that this is common. I mean, I'm sure there's someone sitting out there, right? You've used this excuse. You've gone into your bag of excuses. Says, the timing's not right. I get that all the time with my teenagers. Take the trash out. The timing's not right. I'm in the middle of a FIFA game with my brother. I'm about to win. I can wait a minute for that one. But here with God's project, the timing's not right. Have you ever used that? I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get my devotions going. I'm going to be consistent with my devotions. Right now, I'm really busy. I mean, we can use this excuse in so many ways in our own life. Discipline and doing the things that God asks us. For us, it's always some measure of the timing's not right because something else is unseating what God's called you to do. Now, you can see this excuse that they're giving, but he's going to deal with it as you go on in verses 3 to 4. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? I have to tell you, whenever I, I'm going to preach a passage, I'll, I'll look at it, I'll read it over a lot of times, I make observations, see how the Lord's leading me to preach it. And in this one, you know what word stuck out the most of the whole thing was the word paneled, because I don't see it very often in Scripture. I'm like, that's an interesting word. I mean, how often have you, think in your mind of a verse where it says paneled. And so I was like, I'm really curious about that word. I'm going to go study it, look it up. What does it mean? Here's what I found. I put it on a slide for you. Paneled houses equals nice home made with wooden beams. Now, why is he talking about that? Is that bad? Well, the reality is, is that the location of this, 
there weren't a lot of timber to be had. There wasn't a lot of wood. You had to go get them from somewhere else, which you're going to see in the passage. God's going to tell them, go over there to get the wood and bring it back. But they had come, they got the wood, they got the wood for the project, but it wasn't going to the project. Somehow, the resources God gave them got channeled towards their own purposes to build their homes, these nice homes, which, as I was reading about, homes with wooden beams would be pretty nice homes in that area for that time. And it's not that the homes, to have a home like that is bad, but God's point is to say, let's just read it again. The word of the Lord came to the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time? Remember the excuse is time. It's not the right time. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell, to live in your house, your paneled houses? While, timing again, at the same time, this house lies in ruins. So there was a problem with the fact that God had given them provision and they had stopped the work of God to build their own lives. That's what he's getting at in this passage. Now, we're going to see that God's going to give them something to think about here. And my third point is the consideration then for man. And I chose the word consideration because he, he uses it. Twice he uses it. Okay, so, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Now, this is getting really interesting. My first point I want to tell you is the word consider. Because the first message I gave, I gave you 10 principles that I, I've taught on over the years. And one of those principles was that God desires you when God's Word is speaking to you, to go away, to think about it, to consider it, and to come back and you respond to His Word. Sometimes you respond in the moment, but in particular, when it comes to stewardship. These are the things I've given you. A good steward observes all that God has given to them. They, they're going to survey. They're going to know this is all that God has given to me, everything from money to resources to education to family Go away and consider and think about what I've given you, and then respond. That's one of the principles. You're, you, you are supposed to think about all that God has given you and how you use it. That's a good steward. It's a bad steward who just is going about his life using all the things they have and never thinking of themselves as a steward of God. One day he's going to come back and you'll give an account. Here's all I gave you. What'd you do with it? And if you never are thinking like, hey, someone's coming back and I have to give an account, you will waste so much time and resource and money. Consider, go away and think about and then come back and respond. That's the first thing that I would give you here, consideration for man. But then I want you to notice what he ties to that. Did you read all of those things? Because they didn't sound very good, right? I mean, they lived in paneled houses, right? That they must have been well off, but here's what he says to them. You've sown much, you harvest little. You eat, 
but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. It's like, I've sown, now I've come, and, and here's my bag, and I'm putting the, the harvest in, and by the time I get home, the bag's empty. There's holes that have been falling out on the way home. What he's trying to say to them is, your budget's stretched. You just can't seem to make it meet, ends meet, can you? I mean, you got a paneled house, but why are you struggling so much? And he, what he's describing here is inflation. The dollar cannot seem to keep up with, with them being able to, I mean, he's talking about basic stuff, food, drink, clothes. He's not talking about expensive stuff. And he wants you to consider, think about it. You've redirected resources I gave you to build your life, and in that pursuit, you're struggling. I want you to think about it. That's what he's saying to him. And wow, this has so much application, does it? Because inflation is a word we're all familiar with, aren't we? Especially right now in these days. Family of five, my boys, ginormous. I mean, I can't seem to keep enough food in their mouth. And they've all grown bigger than me. I'm the smallest guy in my house now. The only place I challenge them is around the waist now, you know, which isn't great. But uh, we used to spend this much, you know, and get this much. And now we spend the same amount and it's this much. <laughs> the dollar's stretched in these days, isn't it? And I'm really interested. What are you going to say here to us in this? And on this subject of forgetting God's work, I want to read to you a quote from one of my favorite pastors. He said this, If I trust God, things that look impossible become possible. One of the great surprises is that regular, systematic stewardship to the Lord somehow stretches our resources so they meet all our needs. On the other hand, when we try and hold out on God in order to build our own net worth, we never seem to get ahead. Now, this is one of the principles that I, I lay out in our series. Remember of those 10, uh, the first message I gave, a couple of those principles. When we give to God, God gives back to us in a way it provides for us. And then also when we give to God, He gives back to us in a way that He can get ministry done. Those are the two things that come out of our giving to God. We get that out of the New Testament in, in Corinthians, he teaches that. But God cares about the heart of the, of, of the giver. When I go away and I consider and I say, okay, I want to be a good steward. We can't forget God's work. We're going to give this much to God's work. And then we come forward in the regular giving of God's work, we're going to give. Now in the Old Testament, right here where I'm reading to you, it was actually mandated. It was like it's part of the law like a tax. You, like, like we have taxes, it's the law. You have to give these, these percentages. And they were redirecting. And, but in the New Testament, it's not law. But we still consider and, and we come and we give out of our, our heart. And that regular giving is one of the ways that He grows us in our faith. I told the story about 
how when my wife and I did this, and then it's like the transmission breaks down, and then you're like, how are we going to... And the temptation is, to, we're kind of ministers. We could just redirect some of these resources over here. But this is how God grows our faith. We become amazed at how somehow, here's the faith part. If I'm committed to give this much to you on a regular basis, then can you provide for me? Can you make up for that somehow to make ends meet? And what was happening here was they were redirecting, putting it into building up lives for themselves. And God's saying, I want you to think about how you've got holes in your bag. And there's something going on here. Because God was taking it away from them in other ways. Another pastor put it this way. When God gets His and I get mine, then everything is just fine. But if I get mine and take God's too, what do you think God will do? I think He'll collect, don't you? And this is what we're going to see as we move on through this passage. <clears throat> they were forgetting God's work, but now they need to follow God's lead. And you're going to see that in verse 8. Follow along with me in verse 8. Verse 7 actually says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And now, here's what I want you to think about. Verse 8. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So the correction he's going to give him is, you need to reorient. Just like the very beginning with the guy that found the treasure and he reorients his life for that which is most valuable, you need to reorient an aspect of your life. Go up into the hills. It's going to take time. It's going to take energy. Collect the wood. Bring it back and finish the project that I gave you. That's what he says to them. And I want you to notice what comes out of that. What comes out of that, there's two things. I put it on the slide there for you. It's for His pleasure and for His glory. You see, it pleases God to see His family be obedient and trust Him in faith, and then He continues to provide for them despite their giving away aspects of their life. It brings Him glory. It shows Him being a provider. It shows that He is omnipotent. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can provide for anything. He can make the impossible possible. I don't know how, Lord, I'm going to pay for this kid to go to college. And then somehow he opens a door. My father pastored a lot of small churches. When I graduated from high school, he didn't have any means to help me go to college. Yet my dad was a faithful giver. I learned that from him. And do you know my first year of college, as I was applying, I qualified for more scholarship than what it cost to go to the school. And when I went through orientation and it came time to pay the bill, the school looked at this and they went, oh, we owe you $500. I was like, <laughs> I went to college and then the school wrote a check to me. Wow. And I was like, I can see everything I'm talking about here. I think a lot of that was the faithfulness of my own mother and father. And they, they embedded that in me, and it's something I strive for, and it's something I struggle with, even in my own family, with my kids. We live here in Guam, like, how are we going to send our kids to school? And yet to see the different pathways God has opened up for them. 
and He gets the glory. It's His, his pleasure as a heavenly Father. But the correction needs to be done, doesn't it? Go to the hills. Get the wood. Orient your life in a way that prioritizes God and His work. And then number two, this is the interesting part. Why is your budget so stretched? And God's going to tell them. He even uses the, the word why. And, and it's going to be, it's Him. He's doing it. Look what it says. Read with me in verse 9. It says in verse 9, You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. And he specifically says, because you've orientated your life in such a way that I'm not in it, I'm going to bring you back to me by stretching your budget out. I'm going to cause you to go, why are there holes in my sack? His desire is for you to prioritize Him and His work and trust Him and let faith grow in you and in your family. See Him work. But I think it's just an astonishing thing in the Scripture that He says, it's because of me. And there's a lesson in here too. I'm just going to throw this out there. Yes, I use the word inflation. Yes, we're struggling. And some of you might sit there and go, it's because we didn't get the right people in the political offices. No. Ultimately, it's God. He's sovereign in all things. And He is saying, it's because of me. And you know what? It doesn't matter what politician is in office. He can, he can provide and bless for you despite the politician. But He can also blow it away. And get your attention. Now, we see then that he gives us, like his closing, his last thing is he wants to give you something to remember. And I've, I worded this way, there's a correlation between the, the stretched budget and, and, and what's going on, the lack of God's project. And that if you go get the timber and you do the work, what God's going to do. You want to see this and keep it in mind, this correlation. And it picks up in verse 10. Therefore, the heavens above you withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their laborers. I like the last part, because it's just like, you could throw everything in that. All labor, everything. I've put a stop to it. There's a drought. Stop the rain. I, he, there, there's an aspect that God's sovereignty is stepping in to get your attention. And He says, remember that. Now, the way I want to finish this is I want to give you some things to remember as forgetful uh, treasure hunters. But before I do that, I want to show you a pattern in this scripture that is over and over again in all of the Bible. It works like this. Number one, the Word of God comes to us. In this story, it's Haggai. The Word of God comes through that prophet. He comes and he says, thus says the Lord. And you better listen if it's God's prophet, if it's God's Word. It's like, even though Haggai's not God himself, 
the words he's saying are God. They're from him. It's like if I tell one of the brothers, go tell that brother to take the trash out, and they come in and they say, Dad says take the trash out. You better listen. He can't say, well, I don't have to listen to you. You're just my brother. No, no, it's not me. It's Dad. It's his words coming to you. The Word of God comes to you in, a, in, in more than one way. In this story, it's Haggai, God sending a prophet. But you know what? It's all recorded right now. You can get God's Word right here. God's Word might come to you just from reading it. That's why those devotions are important. you got to get into God's Word. Let God's Word speak to you. Number two, it can come to you through teaching and preaching, through God's prophet, through God's preachers and His teachers. They study and know how to maybe approach you with it and talk about it. God's Word can come to you that way. In any of it, God's Word comes, thus says the Lord. And then, how it applies to us. This is the pattern. Verse 5, consider your ways. Go back and think about it. God's Word's coming to you today. You need to think about it. You need to take it serious. You can't just say, you're the brother, I don't have to listen to you. Well, Dad's going to know. Because you're going to see the trash wasn't taken out, and then he's going to come have a conversation with you. So you take God's word serious. Now, today God's word's coming to you about stewardship. But it can come to you about a lot of things, can it? It can come to you about marriage and how, as a husband, you to treat that wife or vice versa. It can come to you about parenting. Do not exasperate your son, father. It can come to you about relationships, about Christian sexual ethics. Are you upholding God's Word? See, when you hear it, you go away, and you, it's going to apply to you. And I'm going to tell you this. This is how Christians mature. Maturity isn't about age. You could be a Christian 20 years and still be five year old, a five-year-old spiritually. Maturity is about I am letting God's Word come to me and shape my thinking about this issue. I'm letting Him be in control. And good ministry is really about, I, I could take God's Word and bring it over to you and apply it to you. First thing, I build a relationship. I get to know you. I spend time with you. I see what your life is like. And then, if I know God's Word, that's the, the best things. The best counsel you can ever get is these two things together. Somebody who knows you well. They see your life. They know your heart. But then somebody who knows God's Word. Because they could know you really well and don't know anything about the Bible. Or they could know a lot about the Bible and not know you at all. I don't know how to apply it to you. So I'm just going to come over here and go, boom. But if you know God's Word and you know the person, you can take it and apply it to them. Like salt brings life and preserves God's Word is like water in a desert where you just drink it in and it brings life and nourishment. And to have someone who's skilled at being able to bring it to you, a good, trusted friend. It comes to you, it applies to you, and you have the opportunity to respond. You're going to be a better parent, a better spouse, a better steward. Today we're talking about stewardship. But see, what I just showed you is, that's the pattern. This is like every sermon, every sermon I ever preach is figuring this out. Let's talk about God's Word. How's it going to apply to you? How are you going to respond? That's like every message right there. (laughs) I just gave it away. Now, I want to give you that application part now. If you're a treasure hunter, like like, like I'm saying, then here's some reminders for for, for the forgetful hunters. 
See, we want to be like the one guy who came back. He orients his life. God has done so much for us. He's given us His Son. He's wiped the slate clean. Our sins are forgiven. But not only that, He has adopted us into His family. We have an inheritance. I mean, it, that, those things should motivate us in such a way to, you've been so generous, we want to respond. And that one that comes back, He orients His time in a way to, 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 to honor Christ. So here's some reminders. Number one, don't forget the purpose of discipline. It has a purpose. Now, if, I, if there was an award in, somewhere in the world for the most uh, creative disciplinarian, I think my father would win it. Okay, I could tell you lots of stories about how he was creative. He'd probably go to jail today, but, you know, that's the world we live in. But, like, here, I'll tell you one. I can remember in sixth grade, I told a whopper of a lie to my dad. I mean, I got caught in it, you know. And I was going to sit on my bed, and he comes in, and he brought in with him. This is a, 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 an infamous or famous story. I don't know. You decide. But he comes in with this Tabasco sauce bottle. He puts it in a, in a spoon, and he makes me take it. Now, if you know me, I don't like spicy things. In fact, Denise Graves always teased me that ketchup is spicy, you know, you know. I mean, I was sitting there, I had to sit there after I took it for a while and think about the lie. And I just remember sitting there licking my pillow. Ugh. Man, when he came back in and he read from the book of James about the tongue. The tongue is a world of iniquity. Sets on fire. There was that word fire. Oh, I remember fire. It can destroy lives. You have to control the tongue. I'll tell you what, I've never forgotten that. But it had a purpose. You know, the discipline had a purpose. It burned for a short moment, but man, I remember that. And that's that the, the, the discipline of God, He can do it in so many ways, can't He? I mean, this passage we're studying, Haggai, it's inflation. It's inflation. He's using inflation as a form. But Jonah, a great fish, swallowed him. That's pretty creative, right? I mean, I bet you like that Tabasco sauce, he never forgot that, did he, right? Uh, Israel, enemy invaders and oppressors. He was constantly using different nations coming in that were difficult that they would turn back to God and say, help, we got to have help because they would constantly turning away from him. Samson became a Philistine slave. They, after he broke all the vows that he made to God, on that, the, the last vow he broke, he lost his strength. They took rods of hot iron and gouged his eyes out and put chains on him. And it wasn't until later in his life that he came back and said, God, could you just come back to me this one more time? I'm coming to you. Peter, he used a rooster. It brought back to his mind. I mean, do you see all the creative ways that God can bring you back to Him? And here we're talking about stewardship. That sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, the budget is short because He's trying to bring you back to Him. Now, I don't want you to forget the purpose of discipline, but I don't want you to forget the work of God. That's the main point of this. 
don't forget the work of God. And I think that my hope is you walk away from this message, you see it in here, and you do exactly what the one slide said. The Word of God has come to you. You need to go away and think about it. You should survey everything that God has given you and think about what kind of steward are you. If God was to evaluate you, what would He say? Don't forget the work of God. You need to orient your life in a way that's investing in things that are eternal. And I've, I try to weave this in. It's not bad that some of those lepers ran to the family. It's not bad to have a house that has paneled walls. Those things are not evil in and of themselves. But we are so prone to forget God. That one in ten statistic is probably accurate. We get so busy in life, we forget about God and the work that He's doing, the things that really matter, that have some type of eternal value. All those paneled homes that those Israelites are living in are long gone. The things that we often build in life, they're just so short-lived anyways. What are you investing in that has eternal value that someday when you're in heaven, that, that, there's, there's a measure. I invested in that person. God used me as a tool. They're here in heaven because time, energy, resources that I put there. What kinds of things do you invest in? Now, I, I, I try to take moments every stewardship series. To, there's a few particular things that I always say. Here's one of them. Here's what I want you to remember about ministry. Everything that this church does, from supporting missionaries to safe haven to things like youth group to Sunday morning services, everything, lights, everything. All of that is supported by you. God uses individual congregations to support the vision that He's given the leaders for different individual churches. Now, that's different than, and here's how I'm going to contrast this. I worked for uh, a parachurch organization that was global, and one of the jobs I did was every month we sent a thank you letter to people who gave to that ministry. Do you know how many letters, thank you letters we would send out? Like 25,000. Global ministries have a net that is global, that gets givers from all over the planet. But local congregations are supported by the local people. And what we do and what we accomplish in the vision that God's given to, to Bayview for this time here in Guam, and it's 65 plus years, has been supported by the local people here. And sometimes I know we have people that are here and they rotate out. And my philosophy has always been that, and this is why I gave you this two Sundays ago, the, the, the Romans 8 membership, members give life one to another. When you're here, you give to the ministries, whatever God lays on your heart. I don't know what that is, but I preach it as a principle. And when you go away and God puts you in another church, you give there for the vision that God has for that church. Sometimes I have people who come and they say, we just love this church, and we, when we go, we want to keep giving to this church. And, and my response is always, whatever God lays on your heart, but I encourage you, when you find a church, to support that church. And when God takes givers over there, He always brings them in here. And you get to be part of and invest in eternal things here. There's the leaders here, if you're here for two years, you may not come to the full realization of what the culture is like here, the need, the, the, the 
why we do Safe Haven, why we su- support Harvest House and the, the number of foster kids that keeps growing every year and trying to solve these things locally. It's not a global problem per se, not to the, lo- the, the, the local foster kids here. Who's helping them here? And this is why I teach that principle. But what kinds of things do you invest in is part of the application to go away and to consider then how you support and what you support. Now, you know, in the Old Testament, because one of the most common questions I get is, is well, what, what do I give to? And so I answer a little bit there with the local congregation part. But, you know, in the Old Testament, you could break it pretty much into threes. One-third was like taxes. You remember that the, the, the religion of Israel was also... Uh, there was politics and religion together. It was a theocracy. And the way that giving was supported those. So you had a third that went to what essentially was like taxes to support things in that nation. But then there was one that was only for the temple and for for what God did in worship and in religion there. And then the other third, it's like a word, it's like offerings, which is like, what, what do you, how does God lead you to give? Maybe you see someone who has a need and you go give. But it, it broke the categories down like that. And that's how I sometimes explain to people. Well, I mean, we all are going to play taxes. You should be, right? We still got that. That hasn't disappeared. Death and taxes, you can count on it, right? But then you got these other thirds, which is one is what do you give to the local worship like they did? And then offerings, because we can give to so many things, Right? And many of those are great things to give to. I always think about, you know, you're watching TV and then you see the, the poor, straggly-looking dog and then the music comes on. It's a really sad song. And then you feel the emotion to give. If you feel the emotion to give, God gives you that freedom. But what I'm talking about here is to consider how you support God's ministry. But you certainly have the freedom for how God leads you in those. Now, lastly, don't forget the work of God. Don't forget the presence of God in our commitment to obedience. So here's here's what we're going to see at the very end here. Let me read you to the end. Verse 12 says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, what does it say? Obeyed. Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord, the Lord of hosts, their God. And what you see is this. He said, consider, now go, get the wood, come back, finish the project. And God's word came to them, and how did they respond? It uses the word obey. They responded in obedience to God's word, and do you know what comes along with that? When God's word comes to you and you respond in obedience, you know what you get? You get God. You're standing there with God because it's His project, and with God comes His power 
And you see that it stirred up the leaders, it stirred up the people, and they finish the project. And when they finish that project, God gives them another project, and they continue to build and do God's work. It comes with responding to God's Word. And that's the last point. Don't forget that the presence of God comes with our commitment to obedience. And, and, and sometimes I would contrast it this way. If you say, no, God, I'm going to do it my way, a lot of times He lets you do it that way. And, and you're just going to try to accomplish it in the flesh by yourself. Maybe you got some other people with you and you're all working together in the flesh. And this is one of the things I try to press in on my sons. Look, I know you guys have goals, but if God's not in it, you're just... His power's not there. His presence's not there. He's going to let you go on your own and do it. But to be standing there and trying to do it with God by your side, and He's going to bless you in it. See, He's not going to bless you as a way of you sometimes struggling through. you got holes in your bags, you come back. Ah, because what He wants is to be standing there alongside one of His obedient sons to accomplish His work. You can miss out on the joy of seeing God work in, those, in whatever His mission is, get accomplished. It's so much better to be alongside with God the joy of obedience and knowing He's there. And whatever bad happens, that's part of His plan, but it's not because of disobedience. Sometimes the holes are in the back for another reason, to stretch our faith maybe. But you could take great confidence in knowing I'm where God wants me to be, and I'm being obedient, and we're trying to get God's work done. Father, thank You so much for this great story from the Old Testament you let it happen to those people. It went down in Scripture, and we can learn from it. How many generations have had the opportunity to learn from this passage? I, my prayer, Lord, is that you would shape our hearts. Your word comes to us. Every January, my prayer is that we would take seriously the consideration of our stewardship. How much of what we have, own, our skill sets, our time, our money. How much do we leverage for kingdom work? Something that has eternal value. And here we see the example of your people who diverted what you gave them just to build their lives. And I think that's a description of many people. There are many Christians who, they want to go to that worship service. They're standing out there in that field at God's house, his work, His projects need more. And so the prayer, Lord, is that we just be good stewards to consider all that we have and how much do we leverage for You because it brings You pleasure and it brings You glory. In Christ's name, amen. Let's finish as we worship together. Would you stand?